But if somebody yeah. like calls your mom and is like, that's- "Open this file. You have malware. We're from Microsoft." All right, that sounds legit. Mom doesn't know. Like she's yeah. opening her purse. She's getting money out. She's gonna yeah get this off of here. Please. <laughs> Wednesday, October 3rd, 2012. This is episode 27 of Yats. It's yet another tech show every Wednesday. We do the show live, yet another tech show.com slash live. Join us. And if you'd like, give us a call this evening and discuss the wonderful, wonderful world of technology with us at 406 204 4687. I'm Matt Lee. As usual, join this evening. We got Aunt Pruitt. What's up, man? What's going on, gentlemen? And we got Larry Press. How you doing? Hi, folks. Good to see you. Mike Rothman has the night off tonight. In our top stories this evening, no, I've been watch- I've been listening to too much uh, on the media. <laughs> on the media does it like. Uh, all right. Um, did you? I didn't even know this. This is kind of cool. There was or is currently ongoing a race when when humans attain everything and they're successful. And they just have all this money that's getting taxed year after year. They need to spend it. And what better way to spend it than building spaceships, building rockets, satellites, other cool technology. I have never even heard of this. But apparently the, uh, a group has conducted their f- uh, first successful test firing of a rocket that will power a car that they are trying to get to go 1,000 miles per hour. Have you guys seen any about this at all? I have not, but please tell me more. 1,000 miles an hour? Like on a car, right? Wheels, a chassis, hopefully, some roll, (laughs) a roll cage. (laughs) And then down at Bonneville Salt Flats, they've been doing land speed records since I was a hot rider. Well, yeah, but 1,000 1,000 miles an hour, though? I don't think I've... Yeah, do yeah. they get? I don't know about a thousand, but they're they're way up in the in the you know way over six seven hundred. Even when I was, yeah, really, yeah. even that high. And the, and I have uh, when I was a kid, on kid, steam kid, engines. Kid, what? <laughs> Sorry, they went to jet engines, and uh, <laughs> now it's rocket engines. I guess. Jesus. And no, you know, they, also do, they, they do the same shit on motorcycles. I just like to be going 500 miles an hour. On See, the that's what that I remember I... seeing was the motorcyclists um, doing the high-speed land testing or whatever you want to call it and setting all of those records. And that's pretty sick because all that salt out there and you falling on that. Well, just the fact of being on two wheels and going that fast. Like, even I don't know. I've taken my mountain bike down some hills and gotten up around 60. And, like... When you're on a motorcycle, 60 is not that fast, but like on a mountain bike, that's it's crazy. You see, the ground is like right there, just it's smoking fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, your brakes start smoking. Like it's it's a, I don't know, but a car like I, that's pretty awesome. This is a British team. Uh, they're behind the project. Uh, they ignited this propulsion system inside a hardened aircraft shelter at a New Quay Cornwall Airport. Uh, which was originally designed to protect fighter planes from bomb attacks. So that's I mean, if you're gonna Test your bomb slash rocket. That's, that's a good place to do that. Uh, the unique engine is described as a hybrid as it runs on a mixture of liquid high-test peroxide oxidizer and solid synthetic rubber fuel, and it uses the V8 from a Formula One race car as the ignition system. So we're going to use this whole engine just as the ignition just system. Just fire it up. Just to get this thing, this <laughs> rocket. That's so awesome. Uh, they said that the data has yet been fully analyzed, but the engine is expected to have developed over 30,000 horsepower. My car pushing about 120. <laughs> this is 30,000. 
and during and that was a they did a short 10 second burn it was designed to produce a total of 80,000 horsepower and 27,500 pounds of thrust in competition trim who is man enough or woman enough to drive this thing, man. I don't think there's much driving involved. I think it's a matter of just sitting in there, pressing the button, and holding on. Holding on. <laughs> holding on for dear life. All I can think about is those old videos you used to watch back in the day of uh, the rockets attached to, like, train cars, and them go and then just, like, yeah. hit, uh, deploying the parachute and running into the blocks. Like That's what I keep thinking of uh, hey, when you guys, I see that. I, I just uh, Googled and checked on Wikipedia. It's uh, the record from October of 1997, 1227.986 miles per hour over a mile. That's that's crazy fast in a car, but cool technology uh, nonetheless. Did you guys also see just, I mean, neither here nor there, but that Red Bull's doing that space jump thing? And I think they set a date for that, which is kind of cool. This guy's going to jump from this balloon like 20-something miles. Did you guys hear about that at all? No, uh, the astronomy show. Uh, I think astronomy cast. They they were talking about it quite a bit. But this guy's going to be in like this special spacesuit, and he's going to try and break the sound barrier, and obviously break a bunch of records: highest jump, highest jump from a balloon, this and that. You know, uh, and yeah, it's it's supposed to be going down sometime in October, if assuming you know the the weather and everything is is okay. You know, I'd like to see the technology using his suit that's the other thing he's gonna film the whole thing like they got cameras all over this uh it's called redbullstratus.com s-t-r-a-t-o-s uh is the site for it but yeah 18 mile uh it was his practice run and then what's the hundred and twenty thousand feet is the regular what he's going for just makes you wonder, you know, what are the limitations of the body and what technology they're going to use to keep that man safe? Right. I mean, they, they use all of these G suits and stuff just for pilots flying the fighter jets and whatnot because of the way they're going. But this guy's he's facing gravity right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then once once you hit like. I mean, you're in atmosphere still. It's just super thin up there. Once you hit more full atmo, you start getting a lot of friction. And that starts heating you up really quick. So you go from, like, freezing cold, right? Before, like, when you're going up, you're like, man, it's getting getting cold up here, getting hard to breathe up here, to, like, the full opposite while breaking the sound barrier, which is... Pretty crazy, that's, but that's, you, that's you a think crazy stunt, the technology going into like develop this this suit and everything. I mean that it's going to have other applications in other commercial space. Hopefully, I mean. Hey guys, I got to tell you, I told you a lie. I, this is a really long cable. I scrolled back up to the headings. That was twelve hundred and twenty-seven kilometers per hour. It's only seven sixty-three miles per hour. Oh, right. okay. So these thousand. Mile an hour. They break it. Is it a British team you're talking about, Matt? Because the guys that did the 763 are uh, it's Andy Green from Great Britain. Uh, yeah, yeah they're Brits. I don't know. It didn't say his name. Guy. Can barely hear you, Lair. You can barely hear me. Really? This you one's can barely hear you. Yeah, now now you're better. The this one's the Bloodhound. Uh, it's one of several underway. Um. And then the former record holder, they say, is Craig Breedlove, who did 800 miles an hour. Well, then Wikipedia is blown it. Cause Wikipedia or he's hoping to hit 800. Assessing. He's hoping to hit 800. Jesus, Craig Breedlove has been doing this since I was a kid. Really? That's, yeah, he's the former record holder. It's hey, going to be the 50th. It's going to be the. about astronomy? Did you see the pictures that came back from the Hubble? Yeah, the uh, new ultra deep view. Isn't that cool? That's phenomenal. That just, me out. I need to look that up. Billion year light years away. That's old light. Yeah, and if you have a if you have an Android phone, I don't know if they have it on iOS, but NASA has a really cool app that has all these pictures and videos and new like it's all built into this app. It, it works really well. But all just the pictures they have uh, on there every day are, are pretty yeah. sweet. But um, yeah, just lots of cool. It it's like rich man games. Like, what can we? How fast can we go? How high up can we jump from? I think that it's pretty neat, especially when the technology transfers over to you know us normal poor folk who get to eventually benefit from it. Next up, who's gonna build the first condo on the moon? 
or Mars. Twenty <laughs> or Mars, yeah. <laughs> Mission Mars One on it. All right. Um. Yeah. Like we mentioned earlier, or maybe did, we didn't. The debates were going on YouTube once again, getting involved in in streaming that. Um. There was some bills going on in your neck of the woods, Larry. Governor Brown signing some uh, education type stuff again. Yeah. What it, What happened was they. And a, a buddy of mine has really led this within the California State University system. They have set up the idea that they're going to form a library. Uh, and there's a commission of nine guys from UC and the junior colleges and the California State University system. And the idea is to get uh, Creative Commons versions of textbooks for the 50 most uh, frequently taken undergraduate classes in the CSU. And the they're going to be empowered to acquire these, you know, some, they'll have some money to, to acquire them. And, uh, it may end up with, with high class textbooks for, you know, creative commons. So we're almost seeing like, like you have in, you have closed source in, te- in software and you have open source. We're almost seeing that in education. Now you have your open source textbooks and then you have your closed source textbooks of, of yeah, sorts. There's, there's a lot of public domain, you know, open source teaching material. Everything I teach is Creative Commons open source. It's I don't use textbooks at all. I use my own stuff. Uh, but this is going to be to I think try to come up with more quote conventional textbooks. Hopefully duplicate. You know, a lot of the reason faculty adopt textbooks is because the publishers they don't just do the books. They package the whole course. They give them syllabus. They give them PowerPoint slides. They give them quiz questions. They make it as easy as possible for the faculty member. And I think if if this open source stuff, uh, you know, comes with all those embellishments, and uh, there, it, it could go over big, and people could adopt it, and it could make a big difference. Remains to be seen. I hope it works. Well, Larry, as an educator, I know you said you do your own, but where do you stand with these textbooks that come out and give you all of those tools? Have you found those to be useful for you in the past, or is is that no, what that's why I make push um, yeah. I think there are too many lazy guys that just take the same book and the same PowerPoints that came with the book and teach the same boring class year after year. But hasn't that always been kind of the model of, of your normal mainstream education is here's the same lecture year after year. Here's the same textbooks year after year. You, you would think that if it was open source, things could get innovated more quickly and the 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 content wouldn't become stale so quick it, because no, it's they, always they being updated. Is, is faculty time. Uh, sounds like I'm beating up on faculty, and some deserve to be beat up on. But they're really pressed for time, and they have a lot of other pressure to do other stuff beside teach. And if, there's a, if somebody can kind of package up the teaching for them and save them a bunch of time that way, you kind of can't. I mean, you can understand they're they're going for it. I understand the appeal definitely. If someone was like, "I'm gonna kill that cat." If someone <laughs> was like, "You're, you here here is your job." It. <laughs> you know what? I refuse. See this? See this? <laughs> hear that? Do you guys hear that? I never buy her these. You know why? Because they do this. You know how annoying that is to hear, especially during a show? I'm sorry, listeners. So where did that one come from? Is that one yours? People think it's funny to, like, bring her these toys that make so much noise. And, like, I won't even see it. And as friends of mine are leaving, they'll just, like, drop it. And the cat will go. <laughs> it's, it's aggravating. But anyway, as a teacher, if I was handed something that cut my day's worth of work in half, I, I, I don't know. You have to take a certain stand and, like, vet it and make sure this is, your, your, you know, it's, it's good stuff that you're teaching. You don't want to be Ron Burgundy just reading off the teleprompter, you know? I don't know. You, you, typically, you'll have, you know, for one of these courses, they're talking about these big undergraduate courses that, you know, they're required. Uh, there'll be a number of alternatives, and, and the teacher picks the alternative. The teacher has the discretion to pick whichever one they want. Um, and But it's a big time saver to just adopt a, you know, adopt McGraw-Hill's you know, Introduction to History of Western Civilization and go with it. And then build your your course around it. or, or and, and some people probably just do that. I, I think probably anybody you know uh, brings in enrichment material and, and their own way of presenting it and stuff. Uh, but the idea is those books now, 
if, if you go the the link that you're talking about, if you go there, I've got a graph that shows uh, textbook prices and general inflation since 1960. And oh gosh, that's depressing. From 1960 to 19 early 80s, they, they kind of track the same. And then in about 84, 85, textbook prices just went through the roof. And so that's why California and Governor Brown and the legislature jumped on this deal. It was, I think, it was passed. Then. Unanimously, really weird for these days. Yeah, um, usually. <laughs> yeah, but everybody's kind of thinking that the textbook companies are gouging, and there's a huge push in our system in the California State University to uh, cut the cost of, of textbooks and teaching materials to the kids. Well, that's. Did you see that? I found a, an article on the Star Telegram from a teacher at this community college who says that online technology is basically the key to college affordability because of how, you know, do you agree with that? I mean, does it, there's still costs involved, but this definitely all of this online stuff, I think helps, you know? Yeah. And also, you know, the, I don't know quite what's going to come out of the project that, that uh, the legislature just set up, but I could, I can give you a link for the website to a post I did a while ago called Requiem for the textbook. I think textbooks are a bad idea in general. And, but I thought they were a bad idea for about 20 years, and they're still hanging in there. So. It just because you, they're uh, non-updatable? What, what's the bad idea about it? They're, they're heavy? They're not, they're not modular. Right, right. The big thing is, is modularity and, and like you say, uh, updatability. If, if something's screwed up, you fix it right away. Plus. A new way to present something, you pop it in right away. Uh, but the main thing is they can be modular, so instead of going lockstep through a class, you can pick your path through a class. Or you, the stuff I use, like I've got material, uh, you know, that people in totally other departments use to supplement a course. So if, th if things are modular, you have modular, you have more flexibility. On the other hand, you have more work for the professor. Well, and don't those two right. things go hand in hand? If they're more modular, they're e they're more they're they're easier to update because you don't have to go through a whole book. You can just pick out one module and say, "Here's what needs to be updated here," and then and then put it back in. Plus, it gives the teacher the ability to pull instead of, like you said, whole lessons. You're pulling modules from each one and building your own lesson. And some maybe and some teachers that see is more work, and that's part of the appeal of a package put together a textbook. Um, and so, I'm not sure what's going to win. And the other thing that you guys are talking about is online classes. Um, they have the potential, and I don't. They've got pros and cons in places where they work, and places they don't, and some big unsolved problems. But they have the potential to really turn things upside down. The girl uh, where I work at, our secretary at the water store, she's doing an online uh, course for paralegal stuff, and it's. Mm -hmm. I, I was watching her do some of it, and there's like in on one pane you have a chat room that has all of the people in the class. And then you have the lecturer here, and then you have another pane that has like his his uh, content, the slides, whatever it happens to be doing. People in the chat can ask questions. He, as the lecturer, can respond to that either with this content or just talking. It, it looked like a really neat system yeah. they had. You know, you I'm okay. I have in the past and used systems like what we're using right now. Uh, but, um, Hangouts and Skyposaurus. <laughs> Hangouts, hangouts, uh, put you know, jammed together with other tools. But this semester, like I will use Hangouts for some, for some synchronous classes. But the really big payoffs are in asynchronous classes, where the people don't all have to be there at the same time, and they're scaling up. You're seeing classes with you know tens of thousands of people in, and that's economically <laughs> really disruptive. That being said, um, it seems to me that what scales well is presentation, and people are inventing, you know, different formats and experimenting with different presentations, different forms. platforms to what, present on. What, what doesn't scale so well is the interaction. Um, it's easy to present something and have ten thousand people look at it or study from it. But to have 10,000 people interacting in some meaningful way with Well, that's other. the problem online anyway. Any big article that gets hundreds and hundreds of comments, like you just, after a while, it's just pointless. Like everything gets, Gibberish. yeah, everything gets lost in the, in the noise, you know, it's. But, but there's, there, that's not the only way to interact. I've, like, well, yeah, uh, I've been, I've been uh, taking just really to see how it works. I've been taking a, a course from Coursera. And, um, for example, 
there's one of the things they try to do is have student to student, uh, you know, peer evaluation. So like you're supposed to write 750 word essay every two weeks, but if 10,000 people write those, no, no teacher is going to look at them and give feedback. No, so you have Watson from, uh, from IBM. Uh, come <laughs> yeah. Here, here, Watson, um, read these. Uh, but, I don't want to. <laughs> today in, in good old 2012, uh, what the approach that they're trying to do for that is you check, you know, you, you stick your two, your 750 word thing in a Dropbox kind of like thing. You check somebody else's out. You give them feedback. They give you feedback. And if you don't do it within a certain amount of time, you're kicked out of the system. So to try to. Right. Get, so everybody watches. To do peer to peer um, peer evaluation. Yeah, another thing they've done. I, I put this up on the show. No. They're not show notes. What, what we should term to the uh, rundown. Check <laughs> the rundown, my man. You will see that another thing that's happened with these Coursera courses is people have used meetup.com and they're organizing on their own uh, meetups, physical meetups in cities wherever they happen to be taking the courses. Maybe that'll scale up to provide the kind of interaction that's, uh, that's hard to That can, by. I can see, because once people start getting away from the whole mass group of let's stick with your number of 10,000 people and they start like meeting in real life, they're going to just naturally form into these cliques of smaller groups who will all kind of work together. And then you have all of these satellites of the main group working together all for the same project that the whole overall group is working on. And see, that's, that's, that's a little different scaling, but in, in real life, you know, you can't obviously have 10,000 people all at the same bar <laughs> to study no, math, you know, you know, that doesn't 10,000 people at the same bar doesn't scale. It scales for presentation. It scales for protest. It scales for protest. You can have about 10,000 people at, uh, I don't know, Tiananmen Square. You know, I, I I told you I'm a University of Phoenix grad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was sort of it was mixed for me because I had on ground classes where I actually went to a facility for class, mm-hmm. and then I also had online classes where I, it was just you know make sure you had your stuff done by such and such time, and that that model where you talked about the the publishers of the books were sending slideshows and other you know, syllabus and material with it. Man, I see why I see why you moved away from it because I had at least two professors where their whole MO was to, okay, I gotta at least show you these twenty slides tonight, regardless. Mm-hmm. And they were crap slides. Like they were making slides because it was a requirement, not because they felt it added anything to the teaching experience? They didn't make the slides. The slides came with the textbook. It came with the book, right. It came with the books, and they, they, they had it in their agenda. Okay, I have to get these slides done as part of the agenda. And the, the slides never added anything to the course. Like you guys would have got more out of it doing a straight up Q&A with the teacher asking him your questions about whatever content material you were learning rather than yes. look at his stupid old PowerPoint. Yes, absolutely. What you're talking about is, is there's a buzzword for that, like an inverted class. And the idea is that the students study this stuff on their own independently and then come to class and either work on problems or, you know, just right. stuff. And, and you see it. Yeah, but that's you know, good because that, that it was going it was going to be a, it was going to be accelerated. I understood that you know they they cramming so much more information in in two years to get it finished. So I understood that it was going to be a lot more of me just reading stuff on my own. And but that's a good way to get everybody on the same page. Like I have people in real life that ask me about mycology, and like rather than explain everything from the beginning, I have a thing I wrote, and I'm like read that. So you have an understanding, a foundation, and then ask me questions based on that, and then we can have a conversation. Otherwise, you're explaining this stuff, and they have no idea. They have no foundation on which. So I, I can see why you would want to do that, but you can't do just that and then expect, yeah, see, you know, my delivery you need the interaction so at, on top of it. You know, my delivery was like, I can remember it being a class on um, web pages. And we had a night of slideshows talking about HTML tags. Yeah. You know. That kind of break. stuff, though, is different. Like, I feel like that's more hands-on. Like, what W3C Schools does, or what, what 
what's that site? You, no, no, you can't do it here. See what it does here, and then I I'm learning. But if you're just showing yes, me powerpoints and tags, I don't care. Oh, I, I was pissed about that and got That's into it with my. <laughs> what, Larry? It, it, it's like reading a reference book to you. Stand yeah, exactly. Man, come reading on. the periodic it, I, table to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, man, I know you have to enhance this material. You know, well, you and, have and to like connect said, it Matt, to W3. something. You have to, you have to relate it to something that I can cement in my mind as being useful. First of all, otherwise, if I'm like, what is this going to be used for? Like, who cares? But hey, that yeah. that grounds it in your mind, you know. And what if they just said, okay, go study this stuff, and what we're going to do online is not me lecture at all, but. You guys submit questions through chat. I don't know how you're communicating, and I'll talk. Or, you know, we'll have a – this is what I – like, I, you know, do a hangout. Like, we, we can have uh, 10 of the people from the class in the hangout, and everybody else watch the hangout and, and use chat. Would would people have studied this stuff ahead of time? Um, I'm going to answer that with a yes, because I had another class. It was for the Java programming language, and it was all online. I didn't go to the facility until the quote-unquote last day of class, mm-hmm. and you studied it on your own. You submitted questions and projects to a, a forum, and you relied on that for communication. Java like or, said, or, or Java or uh, JavaScript? No, this was just Java. Okay. <laughs> the JavaScript was actually on ground, and that was pretty fun. So you that know all this fun. stuff. Why am I the one that had to build the website? What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> because you are the super producer, Matt. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it? I see. But no, I, I had the Java course, and it was online, and you know, I didn't see this professor until the last day of class, and it was challenging, but... Was the like online said, course... Some of the students were, Yeah. Was that so written it was, in Java? It was pretty close to that. Was I it? think it might have been written in German. <laughs> <laughs> the way <laughs> the way I was going about it, oh, that stuff is hard, man. But uh, again, a group of us ended up pulling off to the side outside of the the regular syllabus and having our own little meetups and stuff. And it that was helpful, you know. It 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 showed that people are owning up to this class and taking responsibility to try to learn more and and get more out of it. And the professor he knew about us doing all of that stuff, and he was supportive of of it. Um, and like I said, he was always available. You know, you just send it to the forum and bam, you respond, you know. You know, you also, there's different, there's students and then there's students. You were a professional guy paying your own money probably, or maybe your company was, but you were serious about doing it. If you go to my, if I'm teaching undergraduates at CSU, half of them just don't give a shit about it. And, you yeah. know, just, and that's how I was when I was a kid. So I can't yeah, even. That's a big difference. It's true. You know. You know, but I look at now, I actually thought about, oops, excuse me, beer burp. Um, I actually thought about um, doing a little more research about just the tools that are available online for online education. Um, yeah, I took this this Java course and got my degree and all of that. But, man, as soon as I was done with that, I was, that stuff went out, went out of my ears and I was done, you know, but. Here recently, I've been looking at a YouTube channel, of all things, and learning more the fundamentals of Java programming. And I'm thinking, why didn't I find this, you know, four years ago? This was perfect. And it makes, it just makes perfect sense. It's in layman's terms. I mean, he's sitting there and he's talking about just, I don't know, a a cup versus a plate. I mean, he uses terminology like that to make it simple, you know. Um. Where was that <laughs> for you know four or five years ago? You know, you might think some of these online schools that are popping up, like Udacity or Coursera, see if they got some courses you might want to take. Well, didn't you say where were they years ago? Like, did we really have the infrastructure or the numbers of people online that were actively using it for any kind of educational purpose to really make something like that work. Like you're, you're mentioning the Coursera stuff in the MOOCs uh, update. I mean, some of these numbers, it, we, I, I think the technology had to get to a point where it is now that you could support these kinds of numbers of students taking those, those kinds right, of things. You're totally right on. 
both of the things you said, both the technology and also the, the number of you, I mean, once you get, uh, I don't know, a billion people on the internet, then you're going to have enough people to support a course. Then it gets interesting. Then you can yeah. start deriving data and doing interesting things with that mass, that critical mass of people. Facebook yeah, we, wasn't fun until your friends were there. You, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> like you couldn't have done these courses 10 years ago because the, the number, you know, even though there's a lot of people, there weren't that many interested in any one course. It's like the long tail, of, uh, you know, Amazon's books, uh, books and all that good stuff. But you're right. It's it's time to see if it works. Once uh, you said what, as of this morning, 7,839 Coursera students had formed 1,119 communities on Meetup. So these are the real in-life meetings. And those yeah. are good numbers for in real That's life. Insane. For in yeah. real yeah. life, for sure. And the thing that was cool. 1,000 cities, 2,824 Udacity students had 478 communities in 453 cities. That's, that's really cool to see. And it's only going to keep growing. You know, that's, that's really neat. Let me tell you another cool thing that I just took a little quote. If you go to the post, um, the, first three, the first three cities were Stanford, which is where these guys spun out from, New York, and San Francisco. What do you think the next three cities were? Chicago. Well, I'm going to cheat and look at your posts. I'm going to just guess Not like Chicago. They weren't in the United States is oh. the point. Alhambra? Huh? Yeah. What is that you said? Alhambra. Not Alhambra. No, the, <laughs> the next one after that was, was Bangalore in India. Wow. Oh, okay. And after that came Moscow. Okay, so it's this is a the point I'm trying to say. This is a global thing in the United yeah. States. Right now, we're sort of out in front, but we're not going to own it. We're, there's going to be teachers, and there's going to be classes offered as well as students from uh, all over the place. It's a global phenomenon. And you know what the cool thing is? Like even when I look at learning stuff online, I'm not taking classes or anything, but just reading stuff online, the kids that are taking these classes are probably learning a lot more here than they ever did in school, like in their regular schooling. Because I they're. Agree. Because you're you're taking the initiative to go out and seek it. It's not like, oh, I got to go to school today. Yeah. I don't want to yeah, go to school today, mom. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. motivation is is a real key thing. Yeah. If if what you're learning, if you don't care about it, or if you if you don't care enough to seek it out, like these kids are learning a lot of good stuff and they care about it, which is key. If you're just teaching kids stuff they don't care about all day it's just you know they retain enough to take the test pass it and that's that and that's not helpful in any real world application at all it's just pointless it's reference material i can google if i need to you know that's that's what it's become it's getting yourself certified that right having the paper <laughs> credentials paying for the credentials but you know that certification that's a whole big question mark 10 years from now Maybe taking a bunch of courses from Udacity will count for more than taking a, having a degree from uh, from Clemson. No. Watch it now. Watch it now. It sure will be a lot cheaper. How are those student loads coming? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the truth, man. It, this, it has the potential. It might be really disruptive. That's what we need, though, right? How long? Yeah. Th this is one of the few places that I can see short-term that we've had technology involved with it, but that still need something disruptive enough to cause massive change. We've seen it in the music industry. We've seen it in the movie industry. We've seen it in all these other industries that technology has come into contact with and just completely like, oh, that's your business model? Not anymore. Right. It, it, education is one of those almost – and book publishing was maybe one of the, the earlier ones we saw. But like education is something that th this technology has been lingering around, but we haven't seen – I mean kids are still doing the normal thing. You know, you have your Peter Teals and people that come around to pay kids money not to go to school and, and try to show them different paths. But for the most part, tradition in mainstream families is, you know, go go to high school, graduate, maybe take a year off, probably not, go to college, graduate, and then get a job. These kids are going to college already having jobs <laughs> of, of companies that they started, you know. Right. Um, well, that, it's really cool. Exception. There are, I mean... There are some like that, but the vast majority are just kind of drifting through school. Right, right. Because somebody told them to. Not, My not dad owns so a dealership. And, and I, I'm not bagging on them because I was one when I was a kid. So, hey. 
Kids are kids. It happens. Yeah. All right, so we spent the first half of the show talking about uh, education, technology, stuff like that, the the 10,000-mile-an-hour, 10, 10, or 1,000. 1,000 mile an hour car. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. And Ant, you put this. We talked a little bit about this on Yats. And uh, that Android, between Ice Cream Sandwich and Jelly Bean, which is something I brought up on AOTA last night, is that maybe this isn't that much to brag about, that being on 25% of Android devices. It's better than 2%. But you're having to add the numbers up from your last two operating system updates put them together and now we have a quarter of all of the android uh devices out there which mostly are running what we got a lot of froyo probably three a lot of gingerbread mostly gingerbread but a lot of froyo and i i just saw an article that came out saying a lot of those uh acer iconia tablets the the a100 200 300 i think none of those were going to get jelly bean unless of course you root and rom unlock Root and ROM, whatever. Did they have the hardware for it on the Iconia? I thought they did. My friend has I didn't think one, they did. And it runs... I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. Is that what... They, it, do you think that's what the the line is? Is it, it comes down to hardware? If your hardware will run this smoothly, then you'll right. get it? All right. And the only exception to that is the uh, Motorola Atrix 4G. It is totally capable of running it, but um, they're not going to update it. Motorola and Google decided, yeah. Is that weird that happen. it's it's now one of Google's? I guess they can't go back in time and, like, I mean, what would they have done differently? Taken, it doesn't have blur on it that bad, does it? Well, it does, but the problem is that's basically the AT&T version of the Verizon Bionic, Droid Bionic. Right. And... That one's going to get it. Um, I did a little research on this. So it comes and, down to carrier. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's, it's a little weird because you've got carriers wanting to get these, these, these consumers on the latest and greatest handsets and latest and greatest operating system, but yet you have a device fully capable of running the newer operating system and say, yeah, man, just buy the HTC New phone. Well, and if you, and if you yeah. even need more proof of that, there was another article we we mentioned on AOTA last night saying it was uh, this guy giving uh, companies their third quarter report cards as far as Android updates go, and all of the companies that were only producing tablets they got A's. All the right. companies that had to deal with carriers they were like C, D minus, F, F minus. Right. Like really? <laughs> they, I mean, it's a I can see why Google didn't want to do another phone and just did that Nexus 7 tablet rather than... Because I thought it would be a good idea to come out with a tablet and a, a phone to complement it. I see why they didn't, though, because that, that yeah. has to be the biggest hassle a company has to ever deal with in its life. Like, worse you know, than being on Shark Tank. Just kill me. I know I know that they're combining that, that 25% number with it being... 4.0 versus 4.1. Right. But they're not major. Back, it's not like 4 and 5, though. They're still within, right. yeah. But if you look back, and I looked at this graph about three months ago, back in July or so, that number was way down. It was right around 10%. You know, I can remember us sort of joking about it um, on one of our episodes here that, you know, wow, we got all of these Android devices and roughly 10% are on the most recent operating system. And the whole caveat with that was, well, not caveat, the whole point of Ice Cream Sandwich was to be the unifying operating system. Well, right? that was that was to, to apologize for Honeycomb and say we can't... Honeycomb kind of sucks on tablets, which I don't know. I didn't really mind it. But it was the first tablet OS I ever used. So maybe, okay. maybe something was else was okay. better. I don't know. But so they needed something, an intermediary in between those two to kind of unify them and say, this one OS is going to work on the phone and the tablet, and it's going to be better than what you had on the tablet, and the phone side of it is going to be better than what you had on the phone. And then Jelly Bean comes out and kind of takes what they did with ICS a step further and kind of puts the polish and the finishing touches on it, adds Google Now, uh, makes you know adds butter to it, which makes all of your scrolling and lists much much smoother. Your your home screens yeah. 
all that stuff. And, you know, it's only... It, I'm, I'm interested to see what they're going to improve on next because other than security stuff, like, it, it's a good OS. Like, I feel like this is done, you know? Like, I, I can't think of anything else you would want to do to it. I mean, it, it works great. So it'll be interesting well, to see what 5 is or 4.2. Let me ask you guys a, a question that comes to mind. What are... What's Apple's uptake rate? What 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 percentage of iPhones and iPads are running iOS six now? Well, what we know the the OG iPad is is done, right? That's that's not getting anything. Yeah, else. it's a much higher penetration because it's a it's a unified device. It's not something that's that's skinned by a bunch of different manufacturers. Right, and if you've noticed, the hardware upgrades from device to device are very iterative. They're not that much. Where they're getting their major speed boosts and being on top of these benchmarks, we're seeing is how the software is interf- uh, interacting with the the hardware. But the hardware is not. Do people upgrade? Uh, if you the have the stops, latest two, stops the Android people. It sounds like you guys are saying it's the the carriers getting the way. It is. It's and the carriers. Well, and it's the hardware. The carriers want you to buy new phones. And the hardware. Each manufacturer has their own whatever chips. Well, I mean, there's just there's a handful of. Phone is capable of. of uh, being upgraded and and it's not. Um, I think Motorola, it is. Yeah, though. it's definitely capable. But AT and T has all of those new HTCs out there, yeah, right? That's what I mean. It's. I hate to be paranoid, but the it's all a scheme to get you. Why would you want to upgrade your old device when you can buy one of these brand new ones and extend your contract while you're at it? Whoa! Extend <laughs> my contract, man. Yeah. I know. Doesn't that sound let me charge amazing? You more for a data plan now. Yeah. Oh, you don't need upgrade your device, get rid of your unlimited plan, and get a kiss on your way out because we you know, just but, effed you. But still, it, it's much better if you look in look in the future. In my opinion, you know, twenty five percent right now, but the hardware is definitely going to get better. You know, you're going to see more dual core chips out there. You're going to see a lot more RAM and quad core. Quad core, it, it's it's going to get better. So but these phones will definitely be capable of running a more sophisticated operating system. I've been saying know? this for a while. Once you hit a certain point, and I honestly think quad core is going to be the spot. That's where else are you going to go? You yeah. have to then you focus on battery. On a phone. You then focus on battery life and software. It's all about the software at that point. And I think once they get to that point, and all of the phones eventually creep up to that point. Then you'll start seeing quicker updates because they're all going to be running quad cores. They're all going to probably be running one of like four or five different chips, you know, that you can it's the like Tegra, now the with Verizon. Yeah. It's like now with Verizon taking the steps on saying, you know what, we're not going to have any more phones that aren't 4G. Yeah, exactly. Quad core and LTE. Those are going to be your two new baselines eventually. And once everyone gets up to that point, we'll start seeing some real cool, innovative software side stuff, I, I think. Hopefully. Because, I mean, what else can you do? You can put another camera on it. I mean, what else <laughs> would you put it? I cannot fathom. And maybe I, I'm not a visionary like some people, but I can't think of what else I want. Little, you know, I want this you to do. You can't do much else to it. Little zombie you can't. Girl, Like, what else <laughs> you, does he want to do? You can get to the point where you can maybe do more processing on the device, like in speech recognition. Right, but that's all software. That's, that's all, all software. Your software. software but you may software. need more hardware to to really do it. I mean, you know, maybe you want to have. I can see where you wouldn't maybe want more cameras or so. But you might want more RAM and faster. Process. Instead of having, right. you already have your dedicated graphics processor. Pretty soon, we'll have a dedicated speech processor and a dedicated. We'll start doing stuff like that, maybe. But, okay, but those are. Hardware change, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. For the apps that people are using today, it seems like you guys are saying that the hardware is mature. Right. So, what if they come up with a way to? You have your your chips that are dedicated for stuff. They just have a chip that's an open. It's your app chip, and whatever app wants to take advantage of that, you know, just like an open processor dedicated for whatever app wants to use it at that time. Like you, you could do stuff like that and get kind of interesting in in what that allows the apps to do. Yeah. And, and how fast you know, it, they can it, do it. It reminds me of the old days when, when uh, a floating point arithmetic on the Intel processors was a coprocessor. Right. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> old school. Thanks to Mr. Wozniak figuring out how to do that. No, nah, shit, he's, he wasn't doing Intel stuff. 
No, but I remember his his first machine, you know, well, not first, but the Apple II, that was the biggest selling point on it was the floating point, wasn't it? Beats me. Now, I think it was. The floating point, the floating point, the selling point of that machine was captured in the ads. Like in those days, you'd see ads in, in computer magazines and they'd be pictures of boards and chips and shit like that. Yeah. Apple ads, you'd have these real clean-cut Mitt Romney-looking people sitting at their kitchen table smiling at their Apple, too. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> the nuclear Mitt family. Smiling at their Apple, too, which they kept <laughs> their recipes on, right? <laughs> right, right, right. I remember those ads. Well, I don't remember those ads, but I've seen those ads. I remember watching those ads with my friends on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Over a Nexus Q. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. All right. Well, while we're talking about Apple stuff, what do you think of the, the iPad mini? Somebody on a tech fortune CNN here says that some invitations are going to be mailed out October 10th. And the rumor is that it's going to be for the iPad mini. Do we need a smaller iPad? Do, do you, is this to compete with the Nexus 7? I mean, what, what what's the deal here? I think it's going to compete with those folks um, because they they know the whole ebook reading experience. Um, the people with those Kindle Fires and the smaller tablets, they all talk about consuming the media on it, and most of the time it's magazines and, and, and books because it's just handy. You know, granted, a bigger 10-inch screen is nicer to look at, but it's really easy for a lady to pop that that kindle in her purse while she's doing her shopping and sit down at the mall and take a break and look at us weekly or whatever the heck shopping women look at you know what i mean have you been using your your really kindle much yes i do well my kids use it more now since i have the nexus but i'm trying to get more into reading and i gotta tell you it is nice being able to pick up Larry Niven's Inferno and read it on that device. It's just it just feels right. It's awesome having a ton of different stuff on one thing, but it doesn't compare to flipping pages on a book. I I don't know. I can't. I can't do it. And maybe it's because I don't have an e ink thing. And that's if this if they want to get readers, you almost have to be e ink to be solely a reader. And you can only be a good reader if that's one of the few things you do. Because people are too ADD to have a device that does more than what one thing that they're trying to focus on. Because I'm going to ch- check my mail and then play Angry Birds and then I'm not even reading this book anymore. Like that's, yeah, Don't get me wrong. You gotta it, have it, it is tempting to jump on and play Dead Trigger. You know, right? it is very, <laughs> right? it is very flow tempting. Flow free? I'm, I'm my, app pick, my app pick last night? Dude, flow. Oh my God. <laughs> And Bad Piggies came out, by the way, bad, which is awesome. Piggies. I got, what's his name, hooked on that, Robert. <laughs> I think Robert that's awesome. <laughs> that game is great. But, yeah, like, if, if you're, I'm going to read a book, and then as soon as your eye sees the colorful icon that says Dead Trigger on it, like, it's over. You have to. <laughs> you, you just, you're helpless. You don't have that problem on a stock Kindle, though. Exactly, because what else does it do? Oh, I'm going to calculate my uh, finances on this calculator. Have either of you guys seen the new Kindles with the, the high contrast displays? I haven't, but that might be. The new yeah, paper one? Venture that to a store, yeah. Or the new Fires? No, no. The, the new Kindles actual e ink. I forget what they call it, but it's, it's the white. much more black on white than it's, kind of It's gray supposed to be right. whiter, yeah. White paper, is that what they call white it? Paper, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I haven't been out to to look at one yet at the local Best Buy or whatever retailers I go to fondle their devices, but I haven't you know, haven't done from, that yet. From there, all I did was pay a little attention to the press releases and the hype around it. That to me sounded more desirable than the than the Kindle Fire. Um, For a reader, that yeah, that sounds better to me as a as a tablet and but as a as a that seemed like a more kind of a cooler step up. Like I've got the old Kindle and I don't use it much, but it's it's not that good high contrast. That would make a difference, I think. Yeah. It depends on your eyes. Yeah. Mine are crappy. So I <laughs> iPad mini you guys will see. Who cares? Who cares? iPad mini? Okay. I, I it, it I'm looking forward to it. Because you're yeah, gonna get you know, one. I wanna check that guy out. 
Yeah, I'd I like. Need... I would like to see how how it compares. You know, you know what it... I was thinking? I wish I had an iPad, but smaller. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't see the. I don't. I don't see it. But I'm sure people. It'll be cheaper, which will be a plus for everyone else. And can you see Kindles in stores and stuff like that, or do you have to just buy them from Amazon? No, I like you. Um, Walmart used to have the 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 regular Kindle. Okay. How about Best Buy? I'm sure Best Buy did if, if Walmart just down the street had it. If I could see one, I might buy it. But, uh... Yeah, I know Walmart had, had them before. And Best Buy, when I've gone in there, they've had a ton of different tablets and e-readers. But I, I sort of steered away from e-readers because, like I said, my brother don't read a lot of books. You know, um, That will change, though. I'm trying. Do you uh... <laughs> listen to a lot of like what you just don't? You spend too much time on sports. See, all the time you waste on sports, I'm reading and, and doing No, that. not not necessarily. My sports. time is spent on sports, Twit Network. It's damn sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> Nature Channel, you know, Google TV. That's where my time is spent. Lots at. of just, okay, yeah, I can see that. I, I found this guy uh, uh, called Captain Disillusion on YouTube where he... He has uh, this YouTube channel where each episode he f- he picks a video and he totally debunks it and is like that's fake, it's BS, and this is how it's done. And he's like really like he you can tell he has a background in video processing and like like really I don't know the some of the stuff he was explaining like I had a video but not like that's like movie stuff. I mean he See, was explaining how to. Now you just- now you just added added more to my but what day. There's only I, 24 hours in a day. Know, you just gave me more stuff to look for. I woke up one Saturday and I saw somebody on Twitter post about a new episode. I ended up watching his whole... I spent like four hours and like three bowls just sitting here smoking, watching him debunk videos. It was... But yeah, I'm that's scared. time I could have been reading. What's, and I'm what's actually, it called again? Doctor Delusional. Captain Disillusion. Check it out. But I, I'm I'm almost done with Ghost in the Wires. I, I kind of mentioned this on AOTA last night. But if you guys have read this book, it it is so good. The stuff that Mitnick was doing to those like Pack Bells and COs back in the day, like he had full control of everything. That dude was dangerous, man. That dude is crazy. Like I want to interview him and ask him questions <laughs> like that i don't know that boxing stuff and that freaking stuff back in the day and and man get novel and sun and just that that was that's pretty impressive i didn't realize i guess the scope of what he had done because i had just read articles and i saw that dumb that hackers 2 movie that was like just a slice of this book of his capers <laughs> And uh, I guess uh, before we wrap this up, talking about that stuff, you guys have seen uh, Scareware on PCs. You know what that is? No. Okay, so you go to yeah, a website. You know what it is? And I'm sure you've seen it in IT. But basically, you go to a website. It pops up a realistic-looking window that says, click here to scan your computer for virus. Uh, somebody clicks it, or maybe you don't. And it says, it found virus. Pay us $39.95, and we'll clean it. What the real good ones do is actually put a virus on there, then say we'll 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 remove it if you pay us. But anyway, the the news is that the FTC has actually cracked down on this kind of of stuff, and they're uh, gonna start going after these these people, which is interesting. I see this, you know, two three times a week. Um... And it can be someone that's just, they're actually trying to do their job. And they're this trying is to a, do some research. This is more than the one, like the ones I was talking about was just automated. You give it your credit card and it, it wipes whatever off. This one that the FTC is going after, they had telemarketers who were actually like calling people up, then directed them to a utility log on their computer that displays warnings and errors as part of its normal Normal operations, any time of the day, any computer, you look in this log and it, there will be stuff in there. And so they, they say that uh, they will offer to eliminate this for a fee. So you pay me and I'll make everything all better you in your mind. Yeah. It's all in your they mind. Had telemarketers, really? Yeah. 
You know, have you ever yeah, gotten a call sure. like that? I've never gotten a call like that. I've seen the emails and, and that kind of stuff. but No, I've never gotten a call. All I've ever experienced is the pop-ups on the screen. Right, right. Hey, you, you may have been infected. And some yeah. of that stuff is kind of a pain to get out if you don't know how to maneuver your way through registry entries and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's got its little hooks in, in a few things. But for the most part, yeah. if you know what you're doing, you can get rid of it. But if somebody, yeah. like, calls your mom and is like... That's- Open this file. You have malware. We're from Microsoft. All right, that sounds legit. Mom doesn't know. Like she's yeah. opening her purse. She's getting money out. She's gonna yeah get this off of here. So uh, the FTC, I guess it was Wednesday, they filed charges uh, in the Southern District Court of New York to stop the scams. A judge then ordered six of the scammers to halt operations and froze a hundred and eighty thousand dollars in assets. So you know it's working. Yeah. 30 Holy bu- cow. Say 30 bucks a pop. $180,000? Like, that's all Man. of our moms. All, all of our moms got taken just now. Uh, gentlemen, I think I might need to find a new career path if I can get past the FTC. Right? Telemarketing scams. That's where it's Good at. Grief. You know, the thing that strikes me about this is, okay, if you're a poor, dumb person, I can see you have no alternatives. Maybe you turn to a life of crime. But if a guy is smart enough to put this deal together, why didn't he just get a damn job? I mean, <laughs> you think if you spent half of is that it really worth going all that? What do you tell yourself when you look in the mirror? Whoa, I cheated a bunch of moms out of 50 bucks a pop. Today. Maybe he's got beef with his mom and he's, he's focusing it on everybody else's mom. I can't relate. To, I just can't identify with it. It doesn't seem worth being a criminal for when you could have an alternative. That was one thing they always tell uh, addicts in, in treatment is that if you would spend half of the amount of, of, of perseverance and motivation attaining your drug of choice, if you would spend that on like a business or something, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be Mark Trump. Cuban. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's stupid the things that like people get themselves into focusing in on and then like how much energy we waste on, on things like that. And calling people we, up, scamming I, them out of money. I think we know of this group who has who has kids and who who are parents. You know, a statement like that definitely comes from a parent. Right. <laughs> That's great. Put that energy in something else. This lady, ass. this one lady, Christy. You don't Ross. try to get your kids to think of scams and, and uh, con games that they could run when they grow up. Lemonade stand, <laughs> man. Lemonade stand. Classic. Little eight-year-olds out there with an iPhone with Square taking fool's credit cards. Being like five bucks. <laughs> Pay up, sucker. Hey, little kid. But check this out. This, this... this NFC scammer that you <laughs> Yeah, right? Oh, is that a Samsung? Because I just wiped your phone. <laughs> so this lady, Christy Ross, she was fined $163 million for selling fake malware cleanup software. What? And you would think at that point you would just like call up AVG and be like, hey, I'm out here selling for you. <laughs> like, hire me. I mean, that's so crazy. So much money. Uh, they say scammers damaged uh, this one guy. His name's uh, Davis something. His, his company's brand, the, these scammers just completely damaged it. Uh, when they call and impersonate McAfee. And charge for something. They're like, that's what we're doing. We're charging for this BS. You can't, you can't get on our jock and then they're moving in on our scam. That's like drug dealers defending their. It is right. How many, how many virus companies are writing just harmless viruses just so you once in a while see something pop up that it protected you from? Like really? I uninstalled all of my antivirus because it's so stupid. I just use, I, I don't even remember the name of it. I just browse smart. Just don't quit clicking on stuff. Oh, yeah, that, that for sure. Browse smart. Come on. Uh, so, yeah, that's. If you see something that's that looks like Punch the Monkey but says your your computer's infected, just Alt F4. Alt F4. Easy Alt as that. F4. And oh. if that doesn't work, Control Alt Delete. <laughs> that, that usually will. <laughs> control q so all right uh well was there anything else did you guys see this i guess before we this is really interesting this these guys set up this like 300,000 android phone 
network kind of to like in this like virtual town of sorts so that they can kind of simulate like different attack vectors and how network of this size uh, reacts as a whole, I guess, and, and individually to these, these different attacks and everything. It's kind of interesting. The system's called Megadroid. Uh, the idea is that uh, they have these simulators that in the past they've been developed by engineers of large data networks. They've not been really accessible to small groups of designers who are working on like a new type of distributed application or something like that. Uh, they say to date, wireless smartphone networks have not suffered malicious software infections at the same rate as standard wired network, uh, which is now va- uh, plagued by a vast array of malware. Many computer security specialists believe this will soon change as personal computing goes mobile. So more of us go mobile, you know, it's going to be good to know how this is going to, how your network's going to react before you go to turn on your phone and, and it's gone one day. But it's pretty interesting. 300,000 droids. Where did they get all of those devices, man? I think they're virtual. Holy cow. They said that simulating a wireless network is much more complex of an undertaking than simulating a standard desktop-based network. Yeah, I'd like to get into get into that a little more. Yeah, um, the first thing that came to my mind though was is um, was a Virginia Tech that took all of the the Apple chips. Was it a power? Was it called a Power Book? Power PC? and built that big server farm with all of those. That was the first thing come to my mind when you brought this up, Matt. But I don't I guess this isn't necessarily serving anything. It's just well, but providing what if, an environment basically. What if, what if one of those attack vectors is now I have three hundred thousand Android zombie botnet all connected to LTE, let's oh say Oh my gosh. What what do you do with that bandwidth? Well, let's say dual core quad core processors. What I mean the, that in it in itself seems like you could do some damage, but yeah. who knows? No, how how would the network as a whole react to that? What can you put into place to prevent that from happening? Like there, there's a lot of interesting things that that you can find out when you simulate this this kind of stuff. All right, intrusion detection can only do so much as we know it right now. Exactly. Exactly. And and it's new. I mean, it's it's new. Have we ever had before in time like these devices that are constantly connected to pretty decent sized pipes with GPS with accelerometer? I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff here that we don't really fully grasp. I think it's going to be interesting to see as all the smart tinkerers get to tinkering more. Like, hey, check this out. Whoa, <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's really cool. <laughs> Uh, they say, like, in a desktop PC network, the biggest problem you have is someone kicking a cord out. But in contrast, wire- wireless networks are composed of shifting herds of tens of thousands of smartphone users. Uh, the simulation is made even more complex by the fact that each phone contains multiple radios and sensors. So, yeah, pretty interesting. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's, like, a big story, but you, you can check it out. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool what we're doing with this stuff. And that's true. Pretty I mean, cool, but also a little unnerving you know the, the stuff that they can find right and right. you know what are the carriers looking at on this well it, it, your verizon like how do you how do you build something that handles people who are constantly in motion handing trade-offs and keeping a solid connection throughout like that that problem there just like that signal switching stuff that's really interesting how how you can keep it the doing handshake that. yeah like that that's really cool just driving down the road and watching it hop from from tower to tower and and maintain this connection and then scaling that out to like a million users and getting it all like i don't know i i used to work in these COs at the beginning of all this wireless stuff and like the equipment is massive mm-hmm. like racks and st- i mean yeah it, it's really neat so there you have it is that a show is that episode 27 did we do it? I think we did. In the books, baby. All right. Well, thanks for watching live. You can watch the uh, Hangout if you don't like just listening to disembodied voices on audio. We have the podcast version. But, of course, the unedited YouTube Hangout rerun always goes up right after the show. If you don't want to wait for Ant to write show notes and me to edit this thing, 
you can just listen to that. But we prefer that you're subscribed to the show in iTunes and write us a review and leave a message at 406-204-4687. Ant and Larry, it's always a pleasure. And we'll have Mike back next week. Uh, Wednesday, yet another tech show.com. That's the site. And we all have our own little networks that we roll in that you can say hi. So say hi. We'll catch you guys. Appreciate it. See you. Tech Show. Check us out online at yetanothertechshow.com.